Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just once again thanking you for the privilege of allowing us to come together, Father, just to worship you. And Father, now as we move into this time of our, of our service, Lord, when we open up your word together as a community of believers, Lord, we pray that your word will penetrate deep into the recesses of our beings, Lord. And Father, we do pray that each and every one of us will leave here changed as a result of the encounter that we have had with you. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the name of Jesus. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, welcome to Friendship Baptist Church. We're so glad that you are here this morning. We are in the middle of our Follow Me sermon series, and this morning we're going to continue to walk through the Beatitudes together. If you remember, our focal passage is, is, is found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you a fishers of men. That was a promise that Jesus made with his initial disciples and it would be a promise that he would that he would um, keep throughout his his ministry here on earth. He would call people to follow him and he promised them that he would make them into fishers of men. And I want you to know right now that Jesus still is in the calling business. He still calls us unto salvation today and he leaves us with the promise that he will make us into disciples, that he will make Make us fishers of men. If you recall throughout this message series, we've looked at how the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest and most important sermon that has ever been preached. The Sermon on the Mount is a disciple-making sermon. And last week we looked at how the Sermon on the Mount calls us to a radical way of life. It calls us to radical living. And this morning our message point is this. The Sermon on the Mount requires us to examine our hearts. So my question for you this morning is, as you come into this place, as we have had the opportunity to worship together, as you went to growth groups together this morning, what's your heart like this morning? Are there areas in your life that you have yet to yield to Jesus Christ? Is there areas in your life this morning that you just need to surrender over to Jesus Christ? I pray that if that's the case, that this morning you'll do that very thing. I'll be the first one to tell you that there are some areas in my life that I am still praying that God will, will transform me into his image. I wish that I could say that I stand before you this morning as a perfect man, but I don't. I stand before you as a flawed man. As we have walked through these Beatitudes together, and as we, um, in our last sermon series, walked through the fruits of the Spirit together, I am not by any means yet at the point where I've t- attained perfection, as none of us in this room are. We're all works in progress. Um, my wife did not write this cartoon, but I promise you that she could have if she really um, wanted to. But there's a cartoon that shows a pastor and his wife deep in conversation with one another. And the wife says, today, let's do something a little different. Why don't you try to be pleasant at home and grouchy at church? Um I just want you to know that I'm pretty consistent in who I am. I'm grouchy at home and I'm grouchy at church. So I just try to keep it, keep it real. Um, but you know, I am a work in progress. All of us in this room are works in progress. We all have flaws in our lives, flaws in our characters. In, um, deep within the recesses of our hearts, there are things that we have yet to surrender over to Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we walk through this message together, let's ask the Lord to examine us. 
and to search our hearts. And if there's any area of our lives that we have yet to give to him, may today be the day that we do that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Our focal passages this morning will be Eight, um, verse eight and nine, we'll be looking at two of the Beatitudes together this week. And the next week we will conclude walking through the Beatitudes together. But this morning, let's, um, just so that we can see, um, the Beatitudes in their entire, entirety, let's start reading in Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse one. It says this, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. By way of review, if you remember, the Beatitudes can only be lived out by Christians. Only lived out by believers. Yes, Jesus did preach this message to his disciples and the crowd that gathered around him. But it was only his disciples that were believers at this point in time. The Beatitudes are a package deal. You and I cannot pick and choose which of the Beatitudes we want to live our lives by. We can't say that that today I'm going to be a peacemaker, but I'm going to avoid all situations where I may be persecuted for my faith. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Jesus begins his sermon with this word, blessed. Blessed, when translated from Greek, if you recall, means happy. When translated from Latin, means blessing or approval upon. Fundamentally, it is the idea of being approved. Jesus begins teaching his disciples and telling them that this is the kind of life that I approve of. So this morning, knowing that, let's look at point number one. We see in verse eight, it said, blessed, it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall be called for they shall see God. So we are called to purity is point number one this morning. Blessed are are the pure in heart. Let's look at that first part of this passage together. I want us to look at at heart, the word heart, and then we'll look at purity in just a few minutes. So let's first focus in on what is the heart. Just so you know, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it is not talking about the circulatory muscle that pumps blood through our system. That is not what it means when it speaks of the heart. The Greek word for heart is cardia, meaning the effective center of our being. It's this idea that the heart is the emotional, spiritual, and mental center of our lives. In the Old Testament, the Lord speaks greatly about the heart. Um, A great deal about the heart is spoken of 
One of my favorite passages of Scripture, and um, one of yours probably as well, one that all of us are familiar with, is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Samuel has been instructed to go to the home of Jesse to anoint the next king. And, and you remember what happens? Jesse lines up all of his sons, and, and Samuel goes from son to son to son. And the Lord says, no, 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 and no. And then he turns to Jesse at the very end and said, is this all of your sons? And basically Jesse says, no, there's a runt that's out tending to the shepherd or to the sheep right now. And so Samuel says, go and fetch him immediately. And so David comes and this is what we read. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You know, think about your life. Think about your daily um, encounters that you have with people. Most of us in this room probably look at a person's outer appearance, before we dig deep into their hearts, right? We look at, um, we base what we think about a person based on their looks, based on their dress, based on their speech, based on whether they have money or do not have money. If you and I based a book by its cover, guess what? We'd miss out on a lot of great stories, wouldn't we? The same is true with man. If we base our opinions on man's outward appearance, we'd miss out on the child that God created and the potential within that person to be the man, woman, or student that God created them to be. In Matthew 6, 21, the Lord said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Also. Where what you value is, that's where your priorities are. That's important for us to understand. What we value in in the places that we invest in or the things that we invest in, that right there speaks about our hearts. And, And we need to realize that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your affections are. Let's be people that demonstrate that our affections are the Lord Jesus Christ and not people that demonstrate that our affections are based on the things within this world. Of the wicked Pharisees, Jesus said this, You broad of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's so true, isn't it? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you and I fill our hearts with good things, guess what comes out? Goodness comes out. When we fill our hearts and our minds and our lives with garbage, guess what comes out? Garbage is what comes out. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. If you and I are to get right down to the problem with our world today, it's a heart problem. That's what's wrong with our world today. It's a heart problem. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we read this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil 
continually. Look around our world today, and we could say that that verse right there is still just as applicable today as it was the day that the Lord declared that statement to be factual. Jeremiah Um, we read this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 through 10. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. At the core of man, at our heart, we are evil people. We are wicked people. In order to experience salvation, we know that there must be a heart change that happens, right? In order to come unto the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, we need the Lord Jesus Christ to do open heart surgery upon our lives. We read in Romans chapter um, 10, verses 9 through 10, Paul um, writes these words. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be safe. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The heart, it's the center of our being. You and I were born with a heart problem. We were born sinners. We were born naturally bent to do evil, naturally bent to do wicked things. But there is good news this morning. The good news is this, that through Jesus Christ, we can be saved and we can be set free and we can be given a new life. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you and I confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe with our heart that God raised him from the dead, we have this promise that we will be saved. When we repent of our sins, we shall be saved. We have this promise. Notice also, so there's the heart problem that we have. And then we also see this word, blessed are the pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. What is purity? I mean, when you think about purity, man, what are some things that come to your mind? You know, naturally, when I think about purity, I think about something that is, that is clear and something that is, 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 is just clear and see-through. You know, I got this bottle of water right here, and um, this bottle of water, as of right now, has not been exposed to any outside contaminants. Um, I know that because whenever I hold it up to the light, I don't see all of those little floaties that happen whenever my my um, daughter takes a drink of my water. Um, have, if you have your kids, you know that that happens. If you share a bottle of water, by the time you, you get it back, you look and there's just all these floaties. So there has not been any outside contaminants yet that has been exposed to this water. But notice what happens. When we allow the outside world to enter into our lives, this pure water or our pure lives are quickly contaminated. Um, I've got a little food coloring here, and um, I'm just going to put one drop in here. And you'll notice that just one outside contaminant will take this nice, clear water and change it colors. Just like that. This 
pure water now. And as you know, I'm colorblind. I forgot to ask my wife if this is blue or purple. Um, so we're going to, um, what is it? Somebody? Blue. Okay. So this blue water, Justin, I think over there said purple because he's colorblind too. Um, but this, this clear water is now blue. Just one outside contaminant, one drop of sin in our lives immediately taints us. Guess what happens when we allow two outside contaminants or three outside contaminants or four sins to enter into our lives? You know, right now at the bottom, there's still a little bit of, of clarity to this water, but, but quickly, the more we add to it, the harder it is to see through this water. You and I, in the same way, when we allow sin to taint our lives, we become impure vessels. That's why I said a second ago that, that at, the, at, the, at the core of us is a heart problem. Why is there a heart problem? Because we have allowed impurities to enter into our lives. But there's good news. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be made crystal clear again. We can be set free and delivered from our sin. One of, uh, as you know, I'm a preacher, so I have lots and lots of favorite verses. But another one of my favorite verses is found in Malachi chapter 3. In verses 1 through 3, we read this. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire or like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. One of my favorite shows on TV is this show called Gold Rush. It's, it's on the Discovery Channel. And, and I love this show because every once in a while during the filming of the show, they will show the, the gold as it is being melted down and as it's being refined. When gold or silver is melted down and refined, all of the impurities come to the top. And that refiner scrapes those things off to the side. And the more times that that gold is refined, the purer that gold becomes. When we allow Jesus Christ to take our lives and refine us and purify us, what Jesus literally does is he comes into our lives and he removes all of those impurities and he sets us free and he cleanses us. And, and, and we have a God that we serve that will take those impurities and remove them as far as the east is from the west is what we read in the book of Psalms. In a few weeks, we're going to um, look at this passage of Scripture, but in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Purity is a big, big deal to God. And you and I must seek to be people of purity. It is a prerequisite in order to come um, unto the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We come unto him, and he cleanses us, and he purifies us, and he sets us free.
And we have this promise that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Those that are found pure and righteous and without sin, they all are promised. We are promised that we shall see God. We will dwell in the presence of the Lord for all of eternity. Notice our second point this morning. Notice the second kind of life that God approves of that we're looking at this morning. We see in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So you and I have been called to be peacemakers. In a classic Winston Churchill comeback, Lady Astor once said, if you were my husband, I'd poison your coffee. And Winston Churchill, with his wit, said back, if you were my wife, I would drink it. (laughs) Did you know that in all of the years of recorded human history, there have been only 8%, only 8% of the time has there been peace. There have been over 8,000 treaties that have been signed and broken. Someone once stated, peace is the glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. There's some truth to that, isn't there? What is a peacemaker? A simple definition is this. A peacemaker is one who seeks to reconcile people to God and to one another. Let's dig a little bit deeper here. This word peace, the word is a Hebrew word meaning shalom. And it is a greeting word that a Hebrew would use or a departing word that they would use. Kind of like you and I say hello or goodbye. Shalom is a term that that within Hebrew culture is still used to this, this day. When a Jew said shalom, they were wishing on another the full presence peace, and prosperity of all of the blessedness of God. Know this, that it is essential that you and I understand that, that peace in the Bible is always based on justice and righteousness. When righteousness and justice exist, peace exists. When righteousness and justice do not exist, peace is not present. So we have peace, and let's look at the second part of that word, maker. The word make in term peacemakers comes from the Greek verb that means to do or to make. Rick Rick Ezel said, it is a word bursting with energy. It mandates action and initiative. Someone has to drag the combatants to the table and give them a reason to put down their arms. Notice Jesus did not say, blessed are the peace wishers or the peace hopers or the peace dreamers or the peace lovers or the peace talkers. Jesus said, blessed are the peace makers. Peacemakers are doers, aren't they? They are people that make something happen. Are you a peacemaker or are you a peace avoider or a peace breaker? If this world has ever needed peacemakers, it's today, isn't it? We are a world that is not at peace. All around this world, war rages. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there was a presidential election this week. If, um, if you did not know that we are a broken 
world in a broken society, then you should have stayed up late into the morning and you would have saw the effects of that election. President-elect Donald Trump won the electoral vote. Secretary Clinton won the popular vote. That right there tells you that we are a divided nation. 50% of the people voted for one candidate. 50% of the people voted for another candidate. What that means is that 50% of our nation is not happy right now. You look at the television this week and you saw the rioting that has been occurring or the, or the, um, or the protests that have been going on or the peaceful marches that have been going on. And what that tells us is that we are a divided nation, that we are a broken people. So what does that tell us as the church that we are to do? We are to be peacemakers. What do peacemakers do? They build a bridge. And so we need to build a bridge. If we have any hope as a nation, it is that the Lord Jesus Christ show up and set people free. Guess who thinks he is winning the battle in our world today? Satan thinks he is winning the battle. Lucifer thinks that he is winning the battle. Satan stands for everything that is opposite of peace. He is the father of chaos, the father of division, the father of war, the father of strife. He, um, Jesus said of him that says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's primary job is to divide us as a nation and divide us as a war and divide us as a people. He wants nothing more than us to be a divided nation. Jesus came, though, to do what? He came to build a bridge between fallen man and holy God. And that is what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker brings the two polar opposites together under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the author of peace, and Jesus is the supreme peacemaker. Jesus came to establish peace. His message explained peace. His death purchased peace, and his resurrected presence enables peace. The messianic predictions were that he would be the prince of peace. We read in Luke chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, it says this, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace and wants you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to be peacemakers. In order for you and I to be peacemakers, guess what we must do? We must allow God's word to be sown within the fabric of our being so that when we come in proximity of chaos. We can be people that help build a bridge between chaos and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, we read this. But now in Christ Jesus, 
You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of his hostility. The Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. And he's called each and every one of us as well to be peacemakers. Notice the reward. It says right here, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. One writer said to be a son of God means to reflect the character of God, the heavenly father. We are going to reflect his holiness and his glory. Our God is the greatest peacemaker, reaching out to us when we were enemies in rebellion and in rebellion against him. William Barclay, in his commentary, wrote this, The man who divides men is doing the devil's work. The man who unites men is doing God's work. Our calling as followers of Jesus Christ is to be ambassadors. An ambassador builds a bridge between nations and tries to establish peace. You and I as peacemakers also build a bridge between kingdoms, God's kingdom and this earthly kingdom. And the only way that these two kingdoms can be reconciled is through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are to be peacemakers, taking the good news of salvation to this broken world. In Isaiah 52, 7, we read, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. When you and I go in the name of Jesus, when we understand that he has given us our marching orders to be peacemakers, then we are going to bring about peace within the hearts of men. Now, are we going to bring about peace within this broken world? Probably not. This world is so chaotic and is spiraling out of control quickly. But what we can do is one heart at a time, we can point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know when that happens? That happens and begins to happen when we, as a body of believers, begin to experience revival personally. And as we experience revival personally, then we will experience revival corporately. And as we experience revival corporately, then those that are around us also will be revived as they get into proximity of us, as we get into proximity of Jesus, and they have an opportunity to hear the good news of salvation as we go to them preaching the good news of Jesus. St. Francis of Assisi prayed this, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. You and I 
have been called to be people that have a pure heart. We have been called to a life of purity. And we have been called as ambassadors of Jesus Christ to go into this world to sow peace. And peace is only sowed whenever we allow God's word to to permeate every fabric of our being as we go about being the peacemakers that the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to be. This morning, as you um, reflect on your life, are there areas in your life that you have still yet to surrender over to Jesus Christ? Man, there's areas in my life that I have yet to surrender to Jesus Christ. Daily, I battle with this flesh. Daily, I seek to become a better man and a better um, Christ follower. But so often, I give in to my flesh. I give in to the things of this world, as I'm sure that many of you do as well. God has called us to be pure, to be holy, to be perfect. And daily we must make a conscious effort that we're going to live a life of purity, that we're going to allow God to transform us of and, and remove those impurities from our life. And the same happens for us as believers. We have been called to go into this world and preach the good news of salvation with those that we come in contact with. We've been called to be peacemakers. Let's be pure vessels that God can use as we go about preaching the good news of salvation to those that we come in contact with. Now, as you know, every single day, we have to strive to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Only one day will we be like Jesus, and that will be the day that we dwell and stand in his presence when we experience that glorified, sinless body. But until that day occurs, we daily are at war with our flesh. But we have this promise in God's word that we can be victorious over our flesh. So let's seek to, seek to be victorious over our flesh, and let's seek to be pure vessels that God can use. If you're here this morning and, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. I want to invite you this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to repent of your sins and cry out to Jesus to forgive you of those sins and, 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 and make the proclamation that he is the Lord and Savior of your life. And you have this promise, if you do that in God's word, that you will be saved. So if you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. I'm going to be standing here at the front. If you need to come this morning for salvation, you come. You may be here this morning. You've been visiting this church a while, and the Lord's leading you to come to be a part of this faith family. We invite you to come as well. This morning, you may need to um, remain seated during our time of invitation and pray. You may need to come to this altar this morning and pray. However the Lord leads you during this time of invitation, you respond. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, just I make, as I've already done, Lord, I, I'm the first one to admit that I'm a flawed man that I am a man still trying to um, 
be perfect as you called me to be perfect. And Father, I know there's only one day that I will be completely perfect, and that will be the day that I dwell in your presence. But Father, still, every single day, you have called me to become more and more like you. So Father, for each and every one of us in this room this morning, well, may we make a commitment this week that we are going to strive on a daily basis to be more like you. We're going to strive to be men, women, and students, and children that desire holiness in our lives, that desire purity in our lives so that we can be the pure vessels that you created us to be as we go into this world and preach the message of salvation and preach a message of peace and try to be bridge builders that reconcile this broken world to our holy God. So, Father, use us this week as we go about life. Father, if there's someone here this morning that is yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that this morning they will make the greatest decision they could ever make, and that is to repent of their sins and to confess you to be their Lord and Savior. There's some here this morning that, is, that have been visiting this church for a while and you're calling them to be a part of this and join this church, Father. We pray this morning that they will come and join and be a part of this faith family. Lord, just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.